Welcome back to another episode of Control-Alt-Delete. My guest today is Paul DeVoy, CEO of Investors and People. Paul has headed up Investors and People since 2011. Paul led the buyout of the organisation from the UK government ownership into becoming a community interest company a few years ago. In a previous life, Paul was head of organisational development at the Scottish Prison Service, which we talk about a bit in this interview. This podcast is all about finding a career you love and making pivots along the way and feeling inspired to make a change. So it was really fun to chat to Paul about the work investors and people are doing because they really do care about putting people at the heart of work. Their products have made work better for over 11 million people so far across 75 countries since 1991. They are a community interest company for purpose, not profit. Most of us will spend 80,000 hours at work in our lifetime. And for something that takes up so much of our time, investors and people think people should get more out of it than they currently do and more out of it than just a paycheck which I totally agree with. They help organisations put people first by turning them into communities and by bringing brilliant people closer together which in turn helps retain the talent within the company. Moving away from being government owned has allowed investors and people to significantly redevelop and expand their products and now they offer various accreditations as well as a free platform that supports companies to focus more on people. In this episode we discuss the problem in the workplace today, what makes us truly happy at work and what managers and bosses can do to make positive change. To find out more, check out Investors in People to find out how to make work a bit better. If you like this episode, please do leave a rating or a review on iTunes. And here is the episode. I'm so excited to talk to you because I love what you are doing at Investors and People. It really aligns with all of the conversations I have on this podcast about people and and caring about how we feel at work. I'll start with a statistic that most of us will spend around 80,000 hours at work in our lifetimes, which is obviously a lot of time. And it really matters. And when people say to me, oh, you know, work doesn't matter that much, you know, life outside of it matters. I agree with that. But I also think work matters hugely. Would you be able to tell me a little bit about your role? at Investors in People and how you came to be there. Yeah, so Investors in People has been around for nearly 30 years and, and it was basically set up in order to improve the standards that are applied in workplaces around how we look after people, how we develop them, how we manage them, the culture that they work in. I started working in it eight years ago and I led the buyout of it from government into a social enterprise and one of our community interest company. So our purpose is about making work better for everyone and creating more happy, healthier workplaces. I love that and I guess the first thing that springs to mind for me is this question of productivity and I know you do so much more outside of that but I just wanted to start on that because obviously human beings need to be productive but we're not machines we shouldn't be driven to that kind of overwork and the burnout so would you be able to talk a little bit about your own opinions about productivity and how that can improve? One of the reasons why the UK is less productive than other countries is our management and leadership isn't as good as our competitor nations so a French worker can go home on a Thursday night having produced the same amount as a British worker takes five days. So there is a link between if we become more productive while we're at work, there's, I think there's a study going on at the moment with Microsoft and they're looking at moving down to a four day week and measuring the differences in productivity. And they've had, I think, a 40% uplift in productivity by reducing working hours. So by working smarter and more productively, we can actually create the space for more 
free time for people. So there's a lot more to be done to kind of prove the link, but it's definitely something that if we can improve on it, we can improve both the wealth in the economy and people's lives. Totally. And I guess for anyone who works on a laptop, that is such an easy link to productivity because it's like you don't need to be at a desk necessarily. You can be flexible. You can work a four-day week. Do you work with, you know, the other side of that, people who don't, they they kind of physically need to be there a bit more? Yeah. I mean, there's one example that springs to mind. I used to work in the prison service in Scotland for four years. Now, you can't really work from home and be a prison officer. Um, (laughs) What I remember happening in one of the prisons was that they allowed the prison officers to design their own shift pattern. So amongst them as a group, some of them wanted to work constant night shifts because of their home circumstances. Others had kids and wanted to work school hours. So between them, they came up with a shift pattern that enabled all of them to have the kind of work-life balance that worked for them. So I think if employers can think more creatively and empower their people to come up with different ways of working that find that work-life balance comes into a better equilibrium then there's lots of scope that I just don't think people are thinking about enough at the moment. Totally. I always get really frustrated with the kind of, you know, when people say, oh, it's not how it's always been done or that's not the way we usually do it. And I'm like, well, you know, we can change the rules on this stuff. Yeah, well, the rules, I think, were designed for the Industrial Revolution on yeah. the basis of how factories worked. But technology and people's lives have moved on even in the last 10 years, never mind the last 100 years. But we seem to be stuck in that 95 paradigm. So why don't we revisit that and say, well, how can we have a better balance between the Totally. And I wanted to ask you about, it's Cal Newport, I think, that coined the phrase, bring your full self to work. Yeah, And I really believe in that kind of, you know, if you've got someone who has three kids or you have someone who has maybe a chronic illness or you have someone who is struggling with their private life in some sort of way, I I do think that stuff matters, doesn't it? Yeah. And for me, that all comes down to your relationship with your line manager. And one of the things that I'm really passionate about is we don't help people to become good line managers. So we make an assumption that because you're a good nurse or a good engineer, or a good doctor or whatever occupation you want to mention once you get to the top of that technical profession the next layer is to manage other professionals or other people but you would train for seven years to be a doctor but they don't train you Mm. to manage other doctors. I have a personal experience with this. I climbed the ladder quite quickly in terms of being good at social media. Like my job was literally being a social media consultant. And then I kind of got to the top of like doing that job. Suddenly I had to manage three people and it was terrifying. And I don't think I was very good. And I don't think most people are because people are complicated creatures and it takes a lot of skill to manage all the different characters and personalities and everybody needs different things. And I don't think we prepare people enough. There's a statistic that there's two million accidental managers in the UK which came for the Chartered Management Institute basically that means as people who have been promoted into management positions who have been given no training to do that so give you an example I was giving a talk a couple of years ago to a bunch of tech executives and I asked them to define themselves and what they would say at a dinner party so if somebody said to you what, what do you do they all would say an engineer or a programmer and I said how much of your working week do you spend using those technical skills that you develop and they were like 5-10% I said what do you do the rest of the time manage people I said how long did you train to be an engineer or a programmer on five seven years I said and how long did you train to be a manager didn't get trained at all for that so it's a really weird paradigm that we would never let someone loose in a hospital if they weren't trained as a nurse or a doctor but we're happy to let people loose on other people (laughs) yeah without making sure that they're trained properly it's a very odd um, and I don't think it's quite so prevalent in other countries I think places like Germany they focus on that much more and then that then goes back to the productivity argument Mm. that they get more out of the people 
because they manage them better and then they have higher productivity. God, it's so true. And it's also linked back to mental health, doesn't it? Because I, th- you know, if I'm in the pub with my friends and they're they're moaning about work or they're genuinely really, really miserable at work, it's actually always, most of the time, to do with their boss. I was talking to a GP a while ago and he was telling me that 80% of the people who come into his surgery with a mental health issue is work-related. And he said, I can try and put them forward for CBT, but they'll be on a waiting list for six, nine months for maybe six sessions. I can prescribe them some sort of drug. He said, but what I really wanted to do was to write them a prescription for a better boss. (laughs) Yes. And I don't want to demonise managers. It's not that anybody's going in to be horrible to people. It's just that unless, as you and I both know, it's a really difficult job to do. So unless you get prepared for it properly, ultimately you're you're going to get it wrong. And that has an impact on the people that you're supposed to be looking after. Exactly, because it's a relationship and it can get quite toxic from both sides quite easily. And sometimes it's like you do need someone to step in and be good at managing. Yeah, and it's a real skill. It's something that you can learn. Like anything in life, some people are more naturally predisposed to it than others. But it's still something that you can learn. And I think we need to focus more on, on that. Yes. Do you have any insights around what people want from work? Because I remember working at an office in an agency one year. We had a really good year and we all got in an envelope some cash for a bonus and we it was like 200 pounds or something and they were like go and spend it this afternoon it was kind of wild i was like oh my god i've never had like any sort of perk and what i noticed was it was so exciting but those perks don't last yeah and yeah, it, and, and yeah. those don't match up with overall happiness at work as nice as they are occasionally what do you think people want lo- long term so i think there's three things more and more now i hear that people are looking for a sense of purpose how do the things that I do in the workplace make a difference? You know, mm-hmm. what impact am I having? So people need to feel that there's a sense of purpose beyond just profit. What good am I doing through this? How am I positively affecting people's lives? And then the second one is they tend to want to do something that they can get good at because you get a feeling of self-actualization by becoming good at a particular skill. And then the third one is having a bit of degree of autonomy about your work. So having some control over what you do. Mm-hmm. So I think the stuff that Dan Pink talks about around about those three areas, I think his book is one of the best descriptions and evidence bases for that. If you can try and provide those three things and a good manager, you're a long way along the road to creating a good workplace. What's that book called again? It's called Drive by Dan Pink. It was came out about maybe 10 years ago, but it's well worth a read. Yeah, because I think the flexible working thing is becoming more of a norm, isn't it? I just don't think it's that big a deal. I, I don't know if it, if I'm naive, but I kind of think, why is it being debated so much? Like, it's quite simple. I think people feel like they don't have control if you can't see the person in front of you in the office or in the factory floor. Then what are they doing? For me, it all comes back to trust. I, I was talking to someone who's called Anna Whitehouse. She's a campaigner for flexible working. She made a good point recently that basically if you're hiring someone and you don't trust them, why are you hiring them? Exactly. In the first place. Exactly. Exactly. Why do you have to put all those systems around them to make sure that they behave properly? There should be an assumption that they will behave properly. Yeah. And it's the exception when people don't. That's always going to happen. It happens in every aspect of life. But if we shouldn't assume bad intent. No, it's strange, isn't it? Because I actually think people work more when they're left to their own devices. And on the flip side, a lot of people can burn out if they're flexible because they they can work all weekend or they can work into the night. And in a way, I mean, I'm not a boss in the traditional sense, but I would be worried about the opposite thing. I'd be like, stop working. Yeah, yeah. I can't see you. Given that we're on all the time with, you know, our phones and emails, then I think that's probably more an issue rather than people not doing enough. Certainly at Investors and People, the attitude that we take is, 
I don't care if you do your best work at four o'clock on a Sunday morning, but you want to go and pick your kid up from school or be there for the parents' afternoon or show and tell or whatever it is, and you do your work at other times. I trust you to work when you can bring your best self to the task rather than some prescription that these arbitrary hours are when you're going to give your best performance you know when that is you know you know you lose energy at two o'clock in the afternoon or you you know you get a burst of energy at seven and eight at night that's cool what then yeah i know we're all so different aren't we we all get our bursts of energy at different times yeah yeah it's strange that when you're not when you're enrolled for a job you'd think there might be a questionnaire just like tell us a bit about you (laughs) yeah 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 how do we help you bring the best version of yourself to work every day? How do we create the conditions where you can perform at your best? Totally. It's just a simple question. So I have a question for, maybe there's someone listening who has read the statistic, which I know changes all the time, around how millennials and younger, they job hop more and they aren't necessarily going to you know, sign up for working somewhere uh, for a decade. What would you say to someone who says to you, well, I don't want to put all this effort into someone because actually they might leave? I think that if you put effort into someone, there's that thing called reciprocity, isn't there? If I look after you, you feel that you psychologically owe a debt back to me and that you're not going to go and leave if you feel that I've treated you well. So there's that old phrase that people don't leave jobs, they leave bosses. Mm, Yes, I totally agree with that. But having said that, sometimes people come to the end of a cycle in a job and it's a good thing for them to move on to their next thing and go and get their their next experience. I'm not a big advocate of the labels around about millennials Mm. and all of that kind of stuff. I think it's so generalistic. You know, I came from a council estate you know, my dad was an alcoholic. My mum had mental health problems. That shaped me more than the fact that I was born in 1968. You know, as we, we took these labels on people now and I, and I don't really, I don't really buy it. I agree because when you put this cohort of individuals in together, it's really strange because we're, depending on where you live or where you grew up, like everyone's so different. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And but there is these generational stereotypes in the workplace. I feel like that's where it's perpetuated is, you know, Gen Z don't work as hard anymore and all that stuff. It's so generalistic to be meaningless, I think. I don't think you can apply these labels. I think people like to sort of apply these labels and then you can develop a policy against that label. That feels to me quite lazy thinking. You know, how do you create something that actually deals with that individual and help that individual be their best? And that individual will come with a completely different backstory. Just because they were born in the same decade doesn't mean that they're all the same. I just don't buy that at all. I really don't buy it. It's funny because I don't work in an office anymore, but I just hear anecdotes. But I do, I do hear from friends saying that nowadays, I think because of the job hopping, yeah, it, people can just feel a bit scared of people leaving in their team, and it can create that friction. But actually, what you're, you know, I agree with what you're saying is we'll put more effort in then. Find out why they're leaving, and see if there's a reason why they would maybe want to stay with you a bit longer. But equally, a few years ago, we went through a period of recruiting a lot of graduates, and they've all went on to go into amazing jobs. And I feel a massive sense of pride when I hear how they've progressed, and they're only just thirty now, and they're earning great money and got fantastic careers. I have a real sense of pride that we helped them on the way, um, rather than thinking. 
I wish I hadn't done that. Yes. I've, in, I've put that time and investment into them and I haven't got as much of it back as I would like. Well, someone else has got it and you'll get it from someone else. So you're basically helping the whole economy upskill. So we all win. Every boat rises in the rising tide. But otherwise, if everyone's just trying to, I'll just train you because you'll stay. It's like a kind of race to the bottom, really. Yeah, it's so, so true. I would love that idea of I've helped this person on their journey. And also stay in touch with so many yeah. ex-colleagues. Like I'm going to a wedding next year or someone that I worked with 10 years ago and I just think how lovely is that that everyone can kind of help each other for years and they may come back to you later on so they may go off for another two or three rounds with someone else and then come back and bring all that experience back but they've still got that loyalty to your brand as an employer because they had a really good experience just because they've gone doesn't mean they won't come back at some point in the future and bring a whole load of new skills to you what's your personal kind of opinion on the work-life balance kind of mix do you believe that it's not as like clear cut as the whole kind of like I think, totally balanced all the time? Yeah, if it gets to the point where it's impacting on your life in a negative way, then you need to have a conversation with your line manager and saying, you know, I'm not got any time for my family because I'm having to work all of these hours. It's not healthy. My partner is not happy about it. My kids are not happy. You know, whatever it is, it's when it impinges beyond a point where you feel comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. And I th- and again, I think that's different for, for every individual. You meet some people where their work is their hobby. It's what they would do if they weren't getting paid for it. They would do it anyway. So who are we to say, well, you need to stop at this point? That's kind of up to them. Yeah, I'm so with you on that because I'm definitely in that stage of my career where I work a lot. And also I don't have any children and I don't have really any responsibilities. And sometimes people say to me, oh, you you know, maybe you should work a bit less. And I'm like, but I'm happy. Yeah, and you're enjoying it. Yeah. Yeah. And also people only see from the outside. You can look like you're working more, I think. People don't see when you're... Yeah, I think maybe the only one risk I would say is if you're in a line management position and you're doing that, and then your team may feel that they're, therefore there's an expectation. That if I'm doing it, I'm expecting you to do it as well. That's something that would need to be watched. And then there's a responsibility on the line manager. Say, I'm doing this for these reasons. This is because I want to and enjoy it. It's my hobby or whatever. Totally. I don't have that expectation of you. And you really need to understand that and make that extremely explicit. I remember saying to one of my line managers, because he used to send emails at the weekend, yeah. but put in the subject line for Monday. But I'd be like, I know that you mean well. And you're saying, don't look till Monday. Monday, but, but, you I've, but I've seen it. Like you've ruined my weekend. <laughs> yeah, and I've heard other stories about people saying, because of my personal circumstances, I work at the weekend. I know you probably don't, so please don't read this. But you're <laughs> yeah. reading it now. <laughs> yes, exactly. So uh, that's in a quite a complicated area. I don't really have an answer. To that. I guess if you don't want contact at the weekend, just switch it off. You know, don't get any alerts to say you're getting emails. I just want to ask you personally because you've yeah. just had such an interesting career yourself. I know you've had different jobs like you mentioned the prison job what makes you happiest now at work it it feels like you really love your job so when I left school I left school at 17 this was 1985 I'm agent dating myself yeah this was 1985 I have Um, no age radar so I have uh, no idea how old you are so um (laughs) it was in the middle of the the recession and it was in Scotland and all the heavy industries in the town I grew up were all shutting down so the only boom industry was the social security office because there was that many unemployed people so I got a job there um working in the mailroom and it was brilliant because I got education. So I got to go to college at night and I did an HNC in business studies and then I did a postgrad in um, HR. I got to work on projects and through that I got the job in the prison service. I'm, like you said earlier on before the mics came on, you know, you never had a plan. I ain't never had a plan. Either just things come along and you try and 
go for it and you take the plunge. And quite often you go to do something that for the first couple of years you're swimming really hard because mm. you've never done it before, but then you get up to speed. So the, the thing that I would say in the latter part, maybe the last 15, 20 years, has really driven me is that sense of purpose. So as I said earlier, because of the environment that I came from, I just believe that everybody's got loads of potential. I live in a middle-class, leafy suburb now. The people who live in my cul-de-sac are no more talented. In fact, I'd say they're probably less talented than the people I grew up with. But there wasn't any expectations on us. Nobody in my estate went to the university. I can't think of one person that went straight to, from school to full-time university. No one did that. But there was lots of clever, bright, talented people. But they just didn't think that was something that they could aspire so I've got a great belief that if you give people high expectations and give them high support then they will achieve things that they never thought was possible so so true because isn't there a focus happening and I've heard it from the Prince's Trust soft skills need to be concentrated on more yeah yeah because those things like being friendly being sociable being introverted even and just being able to focus for an hour at a time like these are things that you can actually really bolster yeah I think giving those people those basic life skills and confidence is, is really important the one I would start with is about expectations. So you heard of the Pygmalion effect? No, I've, I've read the book Pygmalion. <laughs> so basically the Pygmalion effect, they did this experiment and they had two sets of rats that they had to help the rats through a maze. Both sets of rats had to go through this maze and they told one group they were average rats and they told another group that they were super rats. And the people who were in charge of the super rats handled them differently because they had high expectations of how those rats would perform. And those rats went through the maze quicker than the people who were told that they were just average rats. They were just, they were all just rats. This Pygmalion effect has been found in education where teachers who have high expectations of their students subconsciously treat them differently because they expect them to do well. And I think for a lot of people from the kind of background I came from, there was no expectations. So you only rise to the level of the expectations that are set for you and people don't create the conditions for them to succeed and I think it happens the same in the workplace is that if we have high expectations for people but give them high support yeah you'll make mistakes yeah you'll get things wrong but we will support you and help you achieve the expectations that we believe in you and we think that you can do that releases people's potential oh that's so true and I think that's why when people look back and they have that one teacher who almost believed Mm. in them more than they believed in themselves yeah it's like it's quite emotional because you think you kind of made me step up. Yeah, I don't know if you listen to Desert Island Discs. Oh my god, obsessed. Yeah. So I, I think if you go back and listen, there's quite often a significant person in the, in their lives who believed in them, whether it was a parent or a teacher or someone who enabled that person to fulfil their potential because they showed that belief in what they could achieve and that was the kind of key that unlocked them to then you know, really go for what they wanted to do. And it can happen at different stages in your life. It doesn't necessarily have to happen in childhood. It can happen, mm. it can happen later on. Well, for anyone listening who feels a bit more inspired because I, you know, we all know what it's like. Work is quite routine, isn't it? You go to yeah. work, sit at your desk, do your thing or wherever you work and then you go home and everything's a little bit kind of robotic sometimes. Is there anything you can just suggest like off the top of your head for someone to do tomorrow morning? that might make a small difference to kind of re-inspire the team? I think one thing we don't do enough is celebrate what we do well and, you know, just focus on, look, we're really good at that. How did that happen? What was it about that that we we did that really great? How do we bring whatever that essence of that is to other things that we do? So, for an example, we had our annual awards last night and it was a massive success. And if I could bottle that and take it to everything that we do, we would crash it Mm. out the park. It's about just thinking about what's the essence that brings 
brings that good thing together and how do we try and do that more often yeah do you think people maybe don't spend enough time as well like doing the debrief thing you know when you yeah. something goes well and then you move on to the next thing very quickly yeah and I think it happens with individuals you know when um something goes really well or you have a good day and you don't take a minute to even be like that yeah. was great I think it's part of our culture, though, that we like to beat ourselves up. We're not very kind to ourselves. So I think if we could be a bit kinder to ourselves and say, actually, you know, we're all human, we're all fallible, we're very quick to say, oh, that went wrong, that went wrong. But let's focus on, well, what's gone well and how do we build in that and build in that strength yeah. rather than being focused on the weaknesses all the time. It's so true. Back to the rats thing, or maybe it's the dog thing, the classical conditioning. Yeah, Pavlo- Pavlo's, Pavlov's dog. Yeah. Not that this is a total link, but I've always remembered that study from psychology, and I know that if you praise something, that is so effective, Yeah. instead of just saying negative things. Like, if anyone does anything just great at work, I'll just say, like, yeah. you were brilliant today. And I, I really respond to that as well. If someone says, I loved that podcast episode, that makes me go and want to make another one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think it's even more impactful if you say specifically what was the thing that you liked about it, because that then goes back to the input that someone put in or the specific thing that they done they can absorb that more than oh that was great well what was great about it specifically to say, and that yeah. kind of builds the inner confidence and that like, builds yeah so that specific skill that specific element of it i did that really well and that's kind of self-reinforcing oh what a great chat just lastly i wanted to i always ask everyone this what are you looking forward to or excited about that's coming up and it can be work related or it can be personal okay i'll do both personal i'm looking forward to is we go away to a cottage in a little fishing village called saint monan's oh, Oh, nice. Um, which is in the East Nuka Fife, and we go there every New Year for a week. Lovely. And we go for walks along the coast and go for fish and chips in Anstruther. And then in Hugmanay, they have a Hugmanay party on the harbour with fireworks. And you can see right across the river to the fireworks at Edinburgh when they have the big celebration there. So that's my favourite week of the year because most people are off and you don't get any emails. Nice. And you yeah. can just totally switch off. And then in, from a kind of work point of view, I'm really excited about the fact that there is a growing movement of people who are interested in saying we need to make work better for people. And you know, it's getting more traction with politicians, even in the melee of Brexit, and more people are talking about it. And I hope that it gets to the point that there's a stigma attached to not providing good work for people, that you would be embarrassed mm. not to provide it. If we can get to the point where everybody's aspiring to create good work, I think it'll make everybody's life much happier and more prosperous. Oh, I really love that. It reminds me of someone I interviewed recently, Stephen Bartlett. He basically said that he was like, my employees are coming to work for me. It's my responsibility yeah. to make them feel good. They're coming in to almost my space and yeah. I want them to feel great it's like having a house party and yeah. trying to make people enjoy themselves while they were there exactly so for anyone listening who wants to find out more about investors in people and do a bit of a deep dive themselves into it where can they go yeah if you go to investorsinpeople.com or follow our twitter at IIP or me at Paul Devoy then you know we've got lots of stuff we've got free tools there's no reason why you can't be part of our community because we can do free stuff right up to someone coming in to work with your organisation so come and be part of the community let's all make work better together definitely also one of my favourite people ever follows you on Twitter on uh, Investors in People on Twitter Dame Stephanie Shirley oh yeah yeah she's, she's great she's the best she's brilliant she's so great so if that's not an endorsement the I don't know what is. is yes thank you so much yeah it's Paul. nice to meet you it's so great to meet you